All right, let's open up our Bible to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Familiar passage of Scripture. Of course, this is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for these words of our dear Savior. What a warning. I pray, Heavenly Father, for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God, that as I preach, your word will go forth in power. You know, Lord, who's saved and who's lost that's sitting in this auditorium today or listening over the Internet. I pray, Heavenly Father, you'd convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the power of positive thinking, I guess, can help you perhaps at your job. It can probably help you with sports. But I don't care how positive a thinking you do, it does not change reality. Reality is what it is. Now, I know to some the glass is half full, to other the glass is half empty. However, let me say, you know, we always think that life is going to deal the curves to somebody else. That the problems, the big problems, the major problems, cancer, car wreck, cutting your finger off with uh, garden equipment, things like that. We always think that's going to happen to somebody else, don't we? But the reality is it happens to a lot of people who thought it was going to happen to somebody else. And no amount of positive thinking changes any of that. Now, the truth is, we can always hope for the best, and there's nothing wrong with that to hope for the best. But when it comes to eternal things, this is not a hope-so thing. It's not a maybe-so thing. You better have eternity settled. For the Bible says, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this judgment, you don't want to find out like these people did at judgment day that they weren't ready. They had a number of things they could put on the scale on one side, and they thought that that would be a good, good enough. But Jesus let them know that that doesn't make it. Because the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I wish I'd have been brought up in a Christian home. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were not saved. And uh, their lifestyle was anything but Christian. There was nothing like that. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love my mom and dad. Had the privilege of end up leading my mom to Christ. But we didn't have anything to do with God growing up. And like most everybody else, you make up your own ideas about God. And you make up your own ideas about what it will take to get you to heaven. And I used to think, and you've heard me say this many times, I pictured that one day I'd stand before the God in heaven. Notice I didn't say the God of the Bible because I didn't have a Bible. I hadn't read a Bible. But I figured I'd stand before God and there'd be this gigantic scale up in heaven. And on that scale, on one side, he'd put all my good works. And then on the other side, he'd put all my bad works. 
And surely I was a pretty good fella. I mean, I tried to do good by everybody. I may have had a foul mouth, but I was basically a good guy. I never robbed anybody, never stole anything unless it was from the corner store. Uh, You know, I was basically a pretty good guy. So I figured the good would outweigh the bad and God would let me into heaven. And boy, was I shocked at the age of 21 going to First Baptist Church in Otsego, Michigan, because they asked me to play softball with the church team when I found out none of those good works would get me to heaven. For the Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Here I'd been trusting filthy rags to get me to heaven. I didn't even know it. I thank God the Bible does declare this. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to guess at this thing. You can have eternal life and know that you've got it. Now, I think about these people that the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about. Unfortunately, they found out they were wrong too late. And as a result, it meant judgment for them. And let me say right up front, these were not people who had salvation and lost it. And Jesus makes that very plain in the comment that he makes to them. He says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Now, get this. I never knew you. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If these people had had salvation and lost it, Jesus would have had to say, I knew you once, but I'd forgotten you. It's not what he said. He said, I never knew you. These were religious people. These were religious people who did religious things. But they died lost and found out too late what they were going to get. No way they could do anything to change it. Now, they had some pretty great expectations. Now, think about it for a moment. To expect that you're going to heaven, I mean, that's the major thing. No matter what happens on this earth, we know we're going to die one time or another. We'll die at different ages. We'll die at different times. But eternity is forever for everybody. I saw a bumper sticker one day. It said, it's not that life is so short. It's that being dead is so long. It's eternal. You better have it right. I look at these people and I learned some lessons, first of all, about what they expected about God. Number one, they expected God didn't see some things. Now, they didn't mention all the things they'd done in life. They only mentioned the good things. And Jesus, when he responded, he said, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Now, Jesus does not elaborate on what iniquities they had committed, but he lets them know that he knew that what had come out of their mouth wasn't all that was in their life. He knew that. And they wouldn't have expected him to know that. You remember when Jesus met Nathaniel in John chapter 1. And he spoke well of Nathaniel. He said, whence knowest thou me? He said, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. He knew all about Nathaniel. There was no way he could know about Nathaniel. As a matter of fact, you see the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very plain. He knows about all of us. Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. In Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, he says, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. 
The darkness hideth not from thee, for the night shineth as the day. You understand God sees you whether it's light or dark, and he doesn't need to have some kind of special scope in order to see in the dark. He sees all things, and he knows all things. In Hebrews 4.13, the Bible declares, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You understand, he sees us at our very worst. Yes, he sees us at our best, but he sees us also as our very worst. That's why the Bible says all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, the scripture declares, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You go back into the Old Testament, you find a story about Elisha. And he had a servant by the name of Gehazi. And a a leper came to him that was a very rich man. He told the man how how to get healed of his leprosy. And the man went to the river Jordan, dipped himself seven times, came back to the man of God. He's no longer a leper. He's been cleansed. He asked Elisha, he says, how much can I give you? And he said, nothing. God took care of it. Nothing. Well, Elisha's servant heard that exchange that took place. And when Naaman the Syrian left, Elisha's servant Gehazi thought he would go and get a little something out of this. And so he met Naaman afar off and he got some extra clothes and some different things from the Syrian. When he came back, Elisha let him knew knew that he knew exactly what had taken place. Gehazi couldn't hide. And he was going to die as a leper himself. You know, God sees all. You cannot hide from him. Do you know that he knows every place you've been on the internet? Now, wait a second. The internet knows every place you've been on the internet too. Now, I know a lot of people think that somehow, well, I'll just erase those files off my computer. Well, I got news for you. That's not going to protect you. There are people who know how to get those files off your computer because they're never really taken off. They're there. And it's amazing how many people have lost their families, lost their homes, Christians that have lost their ministries because they thought, hey, I'm in my own house. Nobody's going to know this. I know how to delete files. This will take care of it. By the way, every one of those Internet sites you go to has a record of your visit. They just get the IP address. They can go right to your house. They know where you live. Every one of them. You think, I thought I was hiding things. No, you weren't hiding anything but yourself. You thought, you thought, you thought. A whole lot of people have lost an awful lot because of that. But they think nobody knows. Well, God already knew. How about these porch pirates that go around and steal things off your porches that were delivered by Amazon or UPS or any of those other folks, and they go by and take it off your porch. And a lot of times there are ring cameras that have pictures of them, you know. But even if there's not a ring camera, even if nobody's home in the neighborhood, God knows. And the Bible says, God is not mocked. Be sure your sin will find you out. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, God's not going to let you get away with it. Oh, maybe for a day or two. But a lot of criminals have gotten away with things for even longer than that, only to end up getting caught. You see, they thought that God didn't see some things, but God has seen 
everything in your life. Number two, they had this expectation that God didn't hear some things. And yet the psalmist said in Psalm 139, There's not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Even the Lord Jesus Christ declared in Matthew chapter 12 that every idle word that we have spoken will be called into judgment. You can count on it. That's Matthew 12, 36. You see, God not only heard everything that they said here at judgment day, but they had heard, God had heard everything that they had said. Every evil word, every unkind word, every lie, every exaggeration. Everything that you've said, God knows, and you can't erase that tape because it's not on tape. He knows all things. Not only that, they had the expectation that God doesn't know some things. But he knows everything again. And in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1, he says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down art acquainted with all my ways. He knows all about you. When Jesus wrote the letters to the seven churches in the book of the Revelation, he would say some good things about most of the churches, but then he would say something like this to five of them. He would say, I know thy works. I know thy works. Do you realize he doesn't just know what we put on our advertising about Madison Baptist Church. He knows everything about Madison Baptist Church. He knows things about Madison Baptist Church that the preacher doesn't know and that the deacons doesn't know. He knows things about the people of Madison Baptist Church that their spouses don't know. He knows everything. Everything about you. You see, they thought when they stood before God, they'd be able to snow God. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't. He knows. He knows when you're lying. See, some people thought only Santa Claus could do that. But Santa Claus can't do it. Jesus Christ does. Now, that's reality. It's just the way it is. In the early 90s, there was a story. I just got back from Florida, by the way. But there was a story about a prostitute, I think down somewhere around Tampa in that area. Um, and her husband, they sold her body uh, and took names and notes. And I mean, some of them were high officials, uh, not only at City Hall and very rich people, but some of those people were also in law enforcement. And when they came to arrest her, she made a bunch of names known. People committed suicide. They thought no one would ever find out about that. But it's known. God knows. It happens to Christians and it happens to unbelievers as well. God's in heaven. He's got it down. But then there's some people that also have this expectation that really with everything that's going on in the world, does God really care? I mean, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet. There are people that are starving to death. There are wars, people being killed every day, not just in the United States, but in countries all over the world. With all that's going on, does God really care? Does it matter to God? Well, Romans 1.18 declares this. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, 
he goes on to say that marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but adulterers and whoremongers, get this, God will judge. You can count on it. Just because his judgment hasn't fallen yet. You see, that's just part of the mercy of God to give you another opportunity to come to him and take Christ as your Savior and receive the forgiveness that's found in his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel message where he paid our penalty and wants you to have eternal life. For God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All we have to do is look at passages like Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where he talks about the work of the flesh and truly all are guilty of something in that list. For sure, we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. Not only that, they also hoped some things about themselves. Now, they not only had some expectation about God where they were wrong, but they also had some hope about themselves. And what was that? Well, their basic hope was that their works were good enough to pass by everything else. Now, if you examine those works that are mentioned, take a look here. It said in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Man, they preached. I got news for you. They're going to be preachers in hell. Let me go a little bit farther. They're going to be Baptist preachers in hell. I'll even go a little farther. They're going to be some independent Baptist preachers in hell. There could be some Baptist deacons in hell. And don't misunderstand, I'm a Baptist, man. From, from the tip of my toes to the top of my head, I am a Baptist. You say, what would you be if you wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed if I wasn't a Baptist. That's what I'd be. Don't get offended. It's just a little funny there. But it's not funny at all about dying and going to hell. And the Bible says, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He did not say, except a man be a Baptist. He did not say, except a man be a Methodist or a church of God. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why would Jesus say such a thing? He wants you to be born again. He doesn't want you to die and go to hell. Come to Jesus. He'll give you eternal life. That's what he wants to do. And your good works, I don't care how many they are, nobody is going to be standing before him saying, look at all the good things I did in life, God. No, because they're going to realize at that time, none of it can get them to heaven. All of it put together can get them to heaven, but they're lost. Let me show you another religious guy. Turn over to the book of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. There are two men that come to God in prayer. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 10, the scripture says two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee was a religious person. You're going to find out in just a second what these Pharisees did. But they believed in God. We know that. And the other one here is a publican. It does not say Republican. It was a publican. Now, what were publicans? Publicans were tax collectors. And that has nothing to do with political party. They both collect taxes. What about that? We were hoping one of, us, one of them would get us out of this, but it's not going to. Anyway, so, so we, got a, we got a Pharisee, a religious person, and we got a tax collector, a publican, who was absolutely hated by the Jews. 
Now, the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus. Now, notice how Jesus said it. He prayed thus with himself. Now, what does he pray with himself? God. Do you realize the reality of this? is that praying with himself, he's really calling himself God. He's reminding himself of how good he is. And perhaps if I can convince myself how good I am, that'll get me there, but it won't. What does he say? He says, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. There are a lot of church people have that problem. They're just thankful they're not as bad as other people. By the way, I've met people in jail who think they're not as bad as other people. They're not as bad as those church people who just didn't get caught. But it has nothing to do with how good or bad you are. But anyway, that's another matter. He says, I thank thee, I'm not as other men, are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Well, what does this guy do? He says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This publican recognized that he was unrighteous. He recognized that he was a sinner. And he was so ashamed of his sinful condition, he couldn't even lift his eyes up to God. He just beat on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a good word right there, sinner. That's a proper word. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul would write and say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What about that? He came to save sinners. If you recognize yourself as a sinner today, you're a candidate for eternal life. For until you recognize yourself as a sinner, you won't get saved. You can't get saved because God only saves sinners. They're the ones that need salvation. Now notice how Jesus responded to the prayer of these two. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, the man who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner, the man who was so ashamed that he was a sinner, he couldn't even lift his eyes up toward heaven. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That's a good Bible term. That's to be declared not guilty by God. Went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, in Romans 8, 8, the scripture declares, so then they that are in the flesh cannot Please, God. Because you see, all of our works are tainted by this flesh. Bible says, um, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51 and verse 5. The Bible declares, and the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You can count on it. Death and hell cast into the lake of fire. You see, they had hoped about themselves that somehow they'd been good enough. But somebody says, well, preacher, I try to keep the law. 
And yet Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 declares, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. The law is not there to save you. The law's there to show you that you have a need to be saved and that salvation is in Christ because the law declares us guilty before God. You can count on it. When Paul writes about the Jews in Romans chapter 10, and that would include this Pharisee that we just read about in Luke chapter 18, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. That they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You want the righteousness that gets you to heaven? You've got to go to Christ. Because he's the only one who has ever obeyed everything that's in the law. We stand condemned because we've broken it. And if you think you're one of those really good persons, you've broken the very best, biggest first commandment that God has. Jesus was asked the question by a lawyer, what's the great commandment? And Jesus answered, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And every honest person would say, no, I stand guilty. I've broken that so many times. You see, you can't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, uh, speaking foul words. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, having bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. We're guilty of breaking even the greatest commandment that God has, according to Jesus. So, yes, you need salvation. You must be born again. They had hoped about themselves that somehow they were good enough. These people, when they got before Jesus, found out they missed the mark. But heaven is only offered through one person. And that one person, and I've got to clarify this, because that one person is Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the Jesus Christ of the passion of Christ. I'm not talking about the Jesus of Christ that Hollywood sissifies. I'm talking about the Jesus Christ of the Bible. First of all, I'm talking about the Jesus Christ of the Bible. I'm talking about the Jesus Christ who is God. And it's important you understand that because there are a lot of different cults. They would say they believe in Jesus Christ, but their Jesus is not God. So you've got to have this. Preacher, why is that important? Because Isaiah 9, 6 declares, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. When Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, Jesus answered and said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? 
In John 1, 1, the Bible declares in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When was the Word who is God, when was He made flesh? When He came to this earth with the purpose of dying on the cross to pay our sin debt at Calvary. Hallelujah. You see, the Jesus who is God, he is the one that saves and none other can. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's why a lot of people don't get saved. They don't want to trust somebody of Jewish blood to get them to heaven. After all, he was of the tribe of Judah. Jewish blood, yeah, it's through that blood that God gave the world a Savior. Peter put it this way. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You cannot go to heaven without him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, Christ... He is the one who's not only the way, he is the only way. I love the verses in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 and 11, where the scripture says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God for me, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So Jehovah God says in Isaiah 43 that he is the only Savior. All right, now get this, Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is God. That's the one who saves. Nobody else can. He is absolutely it. So you get all the way near the end of the book. The Bible, 1 John chapter 5. And the Bible says this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Then he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You say, well, how do I believe on him? All right, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There was a Philippian jailer that fell down before Paul and Silas. And he cried out, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gave a very clear answer. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What a marvelous promise. It's in him. By grace... Through faith in Christ. You see, God does see and God has heard and God does know and God does care. Since it all does matter to him, you better take him at his word. He's very clear in the scripture how you can get to heaven. You're not good enough to go there on your own. You need the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he alone is the one who can take you there. Now, basically, in all that I've given you so far has to do with lost people. Because truly, in the story that we're talking about, although religious, they were lost. 
And they found out when they stood before Christ in judgment that hell is what was awaiting them. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall they say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now having said that about those that are without Christ, thank God for every one of us saved people, we know we're going to heaven. But there's going to be something that's going to take place that's not going to be very pleasant for saved people. This thing that's going to take place is something that only believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be at. And I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to it. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll cover this for a couple minutes and then we'll be done. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to notice beginning in verse, oh, let's see, I guess I'll pay attention to what I'm doing here for a second and I'll find it quicker. Chapter 5, verse 10. He's writing to the church of God at Corinth. So he's writing to believers and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, how serious do you think that's going to be? Well, look at the rest of the next verse. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, God saved me. Salvation was a gift, absolutely free, did not cost me anything. After he saved me, he gives me a number of commands. He gives every believer a number of commands about living for him, how to live a life that pleases him, how to make your life count for him in bringing others to him. He gives us commands like go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says like in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. All right, we're saved. We're going to heaven. And after I get there, I'm going to be at, and so is every other believer, we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account to Jesus Christ himself for how we lived our Christian life. Now, everybody that is at this judgment is going to heaven. This is not a judgment about heaven. This is a judgment for rewards or lack thereof. So he gives us another picture of it over in 1 Corinthians, and this will explain it even better for you. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, after talking about our works, he then mentions to us, beginning in verse 13, he says, every man's work shall be made manifest. That word manifest means to be revealed or to make known. So basically he's telling us every man's work shall be made known or they will be revealed. That's the idea of that English word. He says, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But now notice, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. You see, this judgment seat of Christ, as I said, does not determine heaven or hell. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, it's because you had gotten saved. But at the judgment seat of Christ, you will give an account for the Christian life you've lived. Whether you lived it for yourself or you lived it for him. Whether you decided you were going to just be sold out to the world or you were going to be sold out to him. Salvation's a gift. It's free. But when it comes to these rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, that means you're going to have to spend some time putting him first. Back in chapter 6 and verse 33 of Matthew, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he asked an interesting question that's recorded for us in Luke 6.48. He says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? As I said earlier, I got saved out of a home and drinking and cursing and all that. And you know, as I learned more and more about what he did to save me, and as I really began to appreciate his love that would put him on the cross of Calvary to save me, I wanted to live for him. No, nobody had to come around and beg me to come to church. I wanted to be with God's people. I didn't want to be with God's people before I got saved, but after I got saved, I wanted to be with God's people. Bible says we know we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. I wanted to serve him. I started working in, on a bus route to bring young people into church uh, in our local church. As I grew in the Lord, I started going out telling folks how to be saved. I mean, I just, I wanted my life to count for him. Now, you don't have to be a preacher for your life to count for him. And whatever you're doing, you ought to be living for him. And by the way, if you say, well, I can't live for Jesus with what I do, then change jobs. But we are here not for ourselves. We're here for him. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, said, Many will say unto me at that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? But his response is going to be, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. All their expectations, all those works they thought they had, really counted for nothing. And they found out too late, lost. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' sweet name. And I pray you deal with hearts this morning. You know every individual here. You know their condition. You know who here has taken Christ as their Savior and who is not. I pray right now, dear God, that you would convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. May any without Christ... May they understand that as long as they stay without Christ, they are simply a heartbeat away from hell. God, I pray for believers today. Yes, we're going to heaven. That's settled. But at the great white throne, I'm sorry, at the judgment seat of Christ, although we're going to heaven, we will give an account for whether or not we spent our saved time glorifying our Savior. 
Have your way in every life today. I plead it in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many can say by simply raising your hand? Well, thank God, preacher, I'm saved and I know it. I've been born again. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Praise God. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony of the Lord? You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven when you die. God bless you. Great. That's great. Put your hands down. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand, a verse that I quoted a little bit ago, 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to have eternal life and know it. Is there someone this morning that by raising your hand, you'd be saying to me, Preacher, I don't really know for sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven, but I do want to go to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up where I could see it, please? Would you do that? Anywhere in the auditorium at all. Just slip it up where I can see it. Then you can put it back down. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Someone that may be watching over the Internet right now. Obviously, I wouldn't be able to see you raise your hand, but you could call us. Our number is 256-830-6224. We have people that will be glad to let you know how you could be saved. For all of you who said, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I wonder how many would say, Preacher, if I stood before Jesus today, all those saved, I'd be ashamed. I've not been living for him as I should. Or maybe you'd say, I've got things in my life that I know are not right. Pray for me because I want things to be right when I see him. Would you slip your hand up, child of God? Would you do that? God bless you. Hands on my left, here in the center, in the back, and on my right. You can do something about it today. Scripture says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave here clean today. Just lay it on the altar today. Let him know. Just confess it to him. He'll take care of it. Father, thank you for speaking to hearts. Bless in the invitation. There's no doubt by the hands that were raised, there are a number of people that need to come forward and get some things right with you. Believers, God, I pray they'd do it. I pray they'd claim your promise today. Lord, for any in the auditorium that are lost, I pray that even right now they'd be praying in their heart, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I now take Christ as Savior. And I pray when the invitation is given, Lord, that they would come and let us know that they just did that. Father, please move upon hearts today. Change lives. We have, I know, at least one for baptism. We want that one to come as soon as we start the invitation. Lord, there may be a church membership issue, whatever. Lord, for others, you just have your way in every life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.